Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm not the type to believe in the supernatural, the occult, or even cryptids for that matter. But there's this one experience, an eerie encounter on the eve of Halloween, that shook me to my core. I was young and invincible then, or so I believed, cruising down the rural roads of Illinois in my sleek sports car. It was a pitch-black night, the kind that makes you feel like you're the only person left in the world, and I was relishing the solitude. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a black cat darted across the road. Its eyes reflecting in my headlights gave me just enough time to swerve, narrowly avoiding hitting it. The car spun out of control, the tires screeching against the asphalt, and came to a stop with the headlights facing a nearby field. And that's when I saw them. Dozens of people, all donned in black robes, standing amidst the tall grass. Their eyes wide with surprise reflected in my high beams. The sight was so surreal. So out of place, it took me a moment to fully comprehend what I was seeing. Before I could react, they scattered. Like shadows fleeing from the light, they dissolved into the darkness. But a few, their faces hidden beneath their robes, started charging towards my car. Fear gripped me, adrenaline surging through my veins. I could hear my heart pounding in my ears, and without thinking, I slammed on the accelerator, peeling out of there as fast as I could. The sight of the robed figures, their forms shrinking in my rearview mirror, is something I'll never forget. Now, this was back in the late 90s, before the Harry Potter frenzy took over. So it's safe to say it wasn't some fan gathering. I don't know what they were doing out there in the middle of nowhere in the dead of night, but it felt like I had stumbled upon something I wasn't supposed to see. Now to the part that still gives me chills to this day. In the split second before I hit the gas, I saw something else in that field. At the edge of my high beams, there was a figure far taller than any of the robed people, hunched over and covered in hair. It stood on two legs and its eyes, glowing in the darkness, met mine. I've heard tales of cryptid stories told to scare kids or thrill-seekers, but in that moment I couldn't deny what I was seeing. It was something unknown something out of place in the world as I knew it. I didn't stick around to find out what it was. I just drove, leaving the field, the robe people, and the cryptid far behind.
Since I can remember, I've always had a deep love for nature. You could say it's my passion. That's why a job as a park ranger felt like a perfect fit. I remember one particular job at a nature park that operated from 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Our shifts were always rotating. One week I'd be on the early shift and the next I'd be closing up for the night. One Friday evening I found myself on the closing shift. I had led a brief tour for some visitors that day, but other than that, my day was relatively quiet. Since there wasn't much to do, I decided to start my evening walk through early. It was already getting dark, and I was making my way through the woods when I noticed a strange light flashing against the trees behind me. Curious, I went to check out the source of the light, but as I got closer, the light flashed again, this time from the direction I had just come from. I yelled out, telling whoever was messing with me to stop it. Then the light flashed again from a completely different direction, too far for a single person to have moved in such a short time. I figured it must have been two people messing with me, maybe some co-workers, although we weren't particularly close, and we didn't typically play such pranks. I yelled again, stating I wasn't in the mood for jokes and that whoever was responsible should leave. Realizing I had no control over this situation, I informed my supervisor that someone might still be in the park and that it wasn't my problem anymore. He told me he'd take over, so I left, got in my car, and began the ten-minute drive home. Suddenly my phone rang. It was an unknown number. I answered it, and a raspy voice on the other end told me I shouldn't have left them there alone, that I would regret it. I warned them never to call me again and hung up. When I returned to work the next day, I was informed that they'd found a dead dog at the spot where I had seen the flashing lights. The realization hit me like a cold wave. This was the work of a seriously disturbed individual, someone who would commit such a horrific act just to mess with me. My friend and I used to go ghost hunting when we were in middle school. It consisted of me asking questions directed towards spirits and ghosts. This is pre-smartphone days. We also brought a handheld voice recorder that was pretty expensive. It was his dad's who was into music and playing instruments. We brought the recorder because we knew it was more likely we would get an EVP than interaction we were aware of. EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, is when you record a noise or voice of a spirit paranormal entity on your device. When you play the recording, you hear the eeb, uh, ip, which you did not hear with your own ears because the frequency was too high. I've had several interactions, but I'll talk about two right now. The first I actually heard, and it was terrifying. It was an especially creepy night at the location we were at, which we frequented for these interactions. So creepy as took us 15, 20 minutes to walk 20 feet. Other nights, we would freely walk around and not be creeped out because we didn't feel like there was another present. Well, this night, there was something there. And after I asked a question, something in front of me, about 10 feet away, swiftly glided towards me while gargling a low aisle, which got progressively louder and more aggressive as it came towards me. The noise came all the way right up to me before I could start to run away. It moved really fast, but I could see absolutely nothing in front of me. There was no body there. My friend and I bolted and ran all the way home. We listened to the recorder the next morning since we were too afraid to play it that night, and it was exactly like I describe it now. The other experience. This was an app. We were listening to a recording at his house that we had just recorded. On the recording, I was casually talking to him about something when, all of a sudden, there is a blood-curdling female scream. On the recorder, it was way louder than my voice and long and drawn out, as if a woman had just been stabbed or seen some horrific shit. It was the most chilling scream I have ever heard, and I did not hear it at all when I was at that creepy location having the conversation with my friend. On the recording device, when the scream happens, I'm mid-sentence, and I do not pause or react. Neither of us do. I remember that night, and we heard no scream. I've had some other experiences that are just as scary, seen an actual apparition, 
seen poltergeist had my girlfriend physically hit and pushed on more than one occasion. And I've, uh, I've had some other eps. Sometimes life takes you down a path you never intended to tread. That's exactly what happened to me and my mate all those years ago while bushwalking in New South Wales, Australia. We were just two friends on an adventure, with no idea of the sinister discovery we were about to stumble upon. In the heart of the bush, amidst the eucalyptus and the bird calls, we found a peculiar structure. It was a platform made entirely out of rocks, carefully arranged in a way that suggested it was intentional, not just a natural formation. It seemed out of place in the wilderness, a discordant note in an otherwise harmonious symphony. We didn't think much of it at the time, simply marking it up as a curious discovery before we continued on our journey. It was only much later that year that the memory of the rock platform took on a dark, foreboding significance. It began with a string of news reports about a series of arrests. Backpackers had been disappearing in the area over a span of few years. Their disappearances largely chalked up to the risks of traveling in such isolated locales. That is, until a man was arrested on suspicion of their murders. As the case unfolded, it was like a veil being lifted from our eyes. The news ran footage of so-called altars discovered at several of the murder sites, slightly hidden in the dense bushland. The chilling sight of those altars constructed from rocks sent a shiver down my spine. They were eerily similar to the platform we had encountered on our bushwalk. Worse yet, they were often found no more than 300 yards from the victim's shallow graves. The man at the center of this horrifying tale was Ivan Malak, now known as Australia's worst serial killer. He was convicted for the murders and has since spent his life behind bars. Yet the thought that we had unknowingly stumbled upon one of his macabre altars was a chilling realization that has never quite left us. Even more unsettling is the fact that the police suspect that Miley didn't act alone. Although they were unable to gather enough evidence to prove it, the belief that there was at least one other person involved in the heinous crimes persists. The idea that this accomplice might still be out there, possibly continuing Milot's horrific legacy, added another layer of unease to our fateful encounter with the rock platform. It was a chilling reminder that sometimes the most innocent adventures can intersect with the darkest aspects of humanity. That bushwalk in New South Wales was supposed to be a simple outing between friends, but it turned into a haunting memory we'll never forget. At 20, three female took my two dogs, a cane corso and a labradoodle, on a walk on nature trail near my home. My car was the only car parked in the parking lot when I arrived, so no one else was on the trail. The trailhead only has one entrance, and the trail has thick forest on either side of it. My dogs and I started walking, and maybe three-quarter of a mile, and a man on a bike approached me from behind. I moved aside with my dogs to let him pass me, and when he does, my cane corso lunged toward him. I held her back, but that was unusual behavior for her. Around five minutes after the biker passed me, he passed me again, going the other way toward the exit, and again my dog lunged at him. I thought it was extremely odd that he decided to turn around so quickly, since he couldn't have gone much more than a mile, which seems like an extremely short bike ride. He was dressed in biking gear and had a professional bike. It just seemed like he turned around very quickly after he saw me. I decided to stop and let my dogs rest, and I FaceTimed my boyfriend to tell him about my odd encounter. My boyfriend agreed to stay on the phone with me while I walked back, because I felt unsafe. Then my dogs and I turned around and started heading back to my car. About half a mile into our trip back, both of my dogs lunged at something inside the tree line off to the side of the trail. They barked and growled and tugged on their leashes towards the area of the tree line. I did not see anything there, but my dogs definitely sensed something. 
We moved on and made it to the parking lot, and I saw one other car there with that man's bike hanging on the bike rack on the trunk of the vehicle. Once I got closer to the car, I realized no one was inside. I have a bad feeling that man had very bad intentions. I think that he biked back to his car after seeing me, walked to that spot on the trail and hid in the woods to do who knows what, then had second thoughts because I was on the phone with my boyfriends and I had two big dogs with me. It makes me sick thinking about it. I'm open to other explanations if anyone can think of one. I want this just to be an innocent encounter, just a misunderstanding on my part. But it feels sinister, and I feel like my dog sensed his energy from the start. This situation made me realize that walking alone on a rural trail, even with two big dogs, is not safe for me. Edit. Him using the restroom in the forest is unlikely. There is a bathroom in the parking area. When I saw his car parked next to mine, I originally went to bathroom area because I worried he might be in his car or by his car. When I eventually went to my car to leave, that's when I realized no one was in his car. Sometimes I'd be blamed for causing problems I didn't know about, but rarely so it wasn't concerning and I always chalked it up to a misunderstanding. I 18 female, live with my brother and mom, so not much goes on. We just coexist, and sometimes my brother causes issues, but not usually me. But he's not causing these, and they've been happening more. It feels like something's playing a trick on me often. Stuff like my phone pass won't enter for, and then will with the same pass as before. My mom keeps nagging me about putting my muddy shoes away wrong and messing up stuff, and I never do this. I always leave them out to wipe off. I haven't went out in a month, but this happened twice. And today was the weirdest my mom left and my brother was in his room. I had dinner for one hour and when she came back, the counters were all scratched up like someone took a knife and scratched them. My mom said she might have to pay for them. Renting, I was in my room and then washed my dishes so I wouldn't have noticed. But she did right away and my brother said he didn't use knives. I only opened a package with one away from them. It's just a mystery, and she blames me because I was the one out, but I was in my room most of the time, too. I want to say it's all a misunderstanding, but it keeps happening. It seems like me. It's centered around me, but I'm not doing these things. I don't cause problems, especially not after being told not to. And she's brought this up and seems to believe me because I seem confused, but also thinks I'm just forgetting like something's wrong with me. But nothing is like that, and I'm not forgetting. I have a good memory. I've come to think at times I'm being haunted or messed with. I mean, what else am I gonna think at this point? I kinda just want it to stop. It's freaking me out. During middle school, I dreaded taking the bus from my dad's house. The bus stop was across the highway and down a secluded dirt road situated between affluent waterfront houses and a less affluent swampy area. The setting had an eerie atmosphere, particularly in the early morning darkness. One day as I waited at the bus stop, I sensed that something was off. It felt wrong from the moment I left home. Standing alone, surrounded by dense woods with no houses nearby, I began hearing faint movements in the distance. Something was slowly rustling through the brush, intermittently pausing. Initially, I dismissed my unease as paranoia, trying to rationalize the sounds. But my anxiety heightened as the noise persisted and seemed to draw near. I felt as though I were being watched, and the unknown presence in the woods seemed to be closing in on me. Growing increasingly fearful, I reassured myself that it was just my imagination running wild. However, the minutes dragged on and the noises grew closer. The suspense became unbearable. Suddenly, silence descended, and a snapped twig shattered the quietness right behind me. I froze, anticipating an animal lunging at me. I dared not turn around, relying on my backpack as a feeble shield. Then I heard it a distinct, muffled cough. Undoubtedly human, 
panic surged through me. The realization that someone was hiding in the woods sent shockwaves of terror. The pattern of sounds and their proximity made it evident that this person had been inching closer while trying to conceal their presence. Innocence was not their intention. Overwhelmed with fear and uncertainty, I contemplated making a dash back to my dad's house, knowing he possessed firearms for protection. However, I hesitated, fearing an ambush if I turned my back. Just as I was on the verge of fleeing, the bus appeared, illuminating the area with its headlights. I kept my gaze fixed on the woods until I heard the bus door open behind me. I swiftly boarded, rushing to the back seat. Although it was unlikely that the individual would follow me onto the bus, I was prepared to escape through the emergency exit and seek safety at my dad's house. As the bus transported me to school, I sat in the back corner, replaying the harrowing incident in my mind. I remained silent, unsure if anyone would believe my story and fearful of potential embarrassment. I never used that bus stop again. Years later, I discovered that the surrounding area, including the dirt road, was infested with sex offenders and criminals. It dawned on me that someone had been observing me at that stop, likely with malicious intent. The thought still sends shivers down my spine, and... I am grateful for the fortuitous timing of the bus's arrival, sparing me from a possible ordeal so close to home. Last August in 1991, I had an unforgettable experience that still sends shivers down my spine. You see, I own a cozy condo at Smuggler's Cove near Newport, Oregon, nestled amidst the beauty of nature. Little did I know that this serene getaway would become the backdrop for an encounter that defied all logic and reason. It all began when my friend Michael, who also happened to be a park ranger, shared a chilling report with me. He had encountered something truly extraordinary at Smuggler's Cove. Eager to explore the mystery further, I decided to visit the area and witness it for myself. I arrived at my condo, situated near a tranquil lake, accompanied by my sister April, her husband, and their young son. The peacefulness of the surroundings set the stage for an idyllic vacation, or so we thought. One evening, as the sun began to set, we gathered on the balcony, enjoying the breathtaking view of the lake. Suddenly, something caught our attention. A figure emerged from the dense foliage on the opposite side of the lake. It was unlike anything we had ever seen before. Towering and robust, this creature appeared to be a Bigfoot. The creature possessed no discernible neck and was covered in long, jet-black hair, which swayed with each powerful stride it took. As it walked along the edge of the lake, it seemed to move with an uncanny grace, despite its immense size. The sight was both mesmerizing and terrifying. As we stood there, awestruck, our initial disbelief transformed into a shared sense of awe and bewilderment. It wasn't just my own eyes that witnessed this enigmatic creature. My sister April, her husband, and their son were equally captivated by the sight before us. Time seemed to stand still as we watched the Bigfoot navigate the surroundings with an almost supernatural presence. Its existence defied all rational explanation. We were witnessing a phenomenon that challenged the boundaries of our understanding. Our hearts raced and a mix of fear and fascination gripped us. We exchanged nervous glances, realizing that our lives were forever changed by this encounter. It was a moment that would bind us together in a shared secret, forever etched in our memories. In the days that followed, we tried to make sense of what we had witnessed. Today was just like any other day at work in the utility sector. As part of my job, I often find myself working on remote transmission lines, ensuring that everything is functioning smoothly. As I made my way along the designated right-of-way, my attention was caught by a sign that stood tall on the edge of the woods. It had a stern warning written in bold letters, Don't enter the woods. It struck me as odd as I hadn't seen such a sign before during my routine inspections. Curiosity sparked within me, but a sense of caution held me back from venturing into the dense thicket. 
Nevertheless, my eyes couldn't help but dart toward the mysterious woods, seeking answers to the questions that now lingered in my mind. And that's when I saw it, a chilling sight that sent shivers down my spine. Nestled among the trees, a wooden structure stood ominously. It was a gallows, ancient and weathered. My heart skipped a beat as I gazed upon the gallows, realizing that it held two figures, or rather lifeless dummies dressed in black attire. Their eerie presence, suspended from the gallows by rough-hewn ropes, sent a wave of unease through my body. It was as if time had frozen in this desolate spot where darkness and mystery coalesced. My fiancée, Stasia, and I decided to make a quick stop at Hatchet Creek for some fishing while on our way back from Flag Mountain. It was our first time seeing this area in daylight, and we were eager to enjoy its natural beauty. As luck would have it, Stasia urgently needed to relieve herself, so she ventured about twenty-five yards to my right to find a suitable spot. She mentioned that she was also on her menstrual cycle, adding a peculiar detail to the unfolding events. After being away for about five minutes, a loud crack shattered the peaceful atmosphere. Stacia quickly recounted that the sound came from a big tree branch breaking merely twenty feet away from her. It was an unusual occurrence since there was no wind to cause such disturbance, and none of the surrounding trees showed any signs of movement. Upon her return, we were astonished to witness a large tree being forcefully toppled no more than thirty-five yards in front of us. It was a sight that defied rational explanation. The timing and proximity of these events led us to wonder if Stacia's pheromones might have attracted an alpha male Bigfoot. As she continued fishing, I couldn't resist exploring the area further. To my astonishment, I stumbled upon what appeared to be a footprint that could only belong to a Bigfoot. Excitedly, I captured several photos as evidence. Intrigued, I decided to follow the creek bed to my left and soon discovered even more distinct footprints, including one that resembled a massive handprint. It was a chilling and exhilarating moment, as I'd never before encountered footprints like the ones I found that day. Leaving the footprints behind temporarily, we hurriedly departed to gather some casting powder. Returning to the site around 5.45 p.m., we began the meticulous process of casting the footprints. We allowed the casting material to set undisturbed for at least an hour, as dusk gradually descended upon the landscape. It was then, in the vicinity of the fallen tree, that we were startled by a series of haunting vocalizations, a distinct, Who? Who? Ha! Sound that set a shiver down our spines! Intrigued and captivated by these inexplicable occurrences, I found myself drawn back to the area on three separate occasions. During my first return visit, a close call shook us to the core when a rock narrowly missed, striking the head of a colleague who accompanied me. Several months later, when we revisited the location, we were surprised to find a group of kids camping nearby. The night took an unexpected turn when one of the kids' fathers, overcome with fear, charged into the woods brandishing a shotgun in an attempt to confront whatever had terrified them. Finally, on our most recent visit, Stashi and I managed to capture unidentifiable figures on thermal imaging, further adding to the enigma that surrounded Hatchet Creek. These encounters have left an indelible mark on our lives, igniting a curiosity and fascination for the unknown. We continue to seek answers, yearning to unravel the mysteries that lie hidden within the depths of the wilderness, forever humbled by the untamed forces that coexist alongside us. This story begins on a cool summer night in the city of Issaquah, Washington, in the year of 1989. I was a patrol sergeant on night shift with a squad of four officers. The night had been uneventful until approximately 3 a.m. Myself and an officer I will identify as John responded to an alarm at a business located in an exclusive shopping area known as Gilman Village. 
It is made up of older homes and buildings that were moved into an area near Essequa Creek, connected by a wooden walkway. Gilman Village is a very popular shopping destination for tourists and locals alike. I, as a police officer, enjoyed walking through the complex while working night shift for the exercise into window shop at the many interesting stores. Receiving alarms at the different businesses throughout Gilman was common and most of the time uneventful. But on this particular night, there was nothing common or uneventful about it. John and I responded to the alarm at a business which was then called the Levi Coat Factory. We performed an outer perimeter check of the building and found it to be secure. Dispatch made phone contact with the owner who declined to respond to allow us to check the interior of the building. John and I returned to the parking lot located on the northwest side of the complex. This is the area where we had parked our patrol units. John and I stood outside and carried on a conversation in the dimly lit parking lot approximately 60 to 70 feet away from the buildings in that portion of the village. The buildings were to my left and to John's right. Both of us noticed an unusual movement near the eaves of one of the buildings. It was a ball of light about the size of a cantaloupe moving slowly from left to right, following the area just below the eaves. The light was very intense. We stared at the light until it disappeared around the south side of the building. Goosebumps prevailed. Officer John and I looked at each other, eyes wide open, each asking at the same time, Did you see that? What we had seen was strange enough, but nothing compared to what we were about to witness. While we stood and talked about the strange event, our eyes were once again drawn to the northwest corner of the same building, only this time it was the lower corner. A perfect ball of very intense light, approximately one foot off the ground, floated around the corner. The ball was about four feet in diameter and once again a perfect sphere. The thing that made me speechless was what I had seen inside the sphere. Walking upright was, for the lack of any other word, a creature walking. The arms swung back and forth, and the hands were turned with its fingers pointed to the rear. As the sphere progressed along the side of the building, it went behind bushes that grew in between the sphere and the parking lot. The light was visible through the openings of the bush, and it was very clear that it was not being projected. Yet I recall at least a full three minutes passed before either John or I could speak. To put it lightly, we were terrorized by the unknown. This event changed the way I think and look at stories by others claiming encounters with the unknown. John and I never spoke about the event until 2010. I never imagined that a secret meeting among government generals would thrust me into a living nightmare. I sat in a dimly lit windowless room surrounded by stern-faced men in uniform. Our top general, a man of steely resolve, paced before us, his voice commanding attention. Gentlemen, he began, we have captured one of the unknown creatures, but it has fled our laboratory. We must find it before it wreaks havoc. The hushed tension in the room was palpable as he continued to describe the creature we had inadvertently unleashed upon the world. Its description sent shivers down my spine. It had black fur that was very coarse-looking, even for this time of year, the general explained. It was kind of like fur on a bear, but it stood up on two legs, just like you and I do. The face was very wide, with eyes that were kind of glowing and pulsating white. It had very long arms, not quite as long as an ape's. But they hung right by its chest, and the hands only had three fingers. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, thumbs that I could see, the fingers resembled more like claws. The room fell into an uneasy silence. The mere thought of such a creature roaming free in the world was a chilling prospect. The general's grim expression revealed the gravity of the situation. As the general continued to brief us on the urgency of the situation, I couldn't help but think of the innocent hikers and campers who frequented our national forests. They were oblivious to the lurking horror that had been unleashed upon them. Days turned into nights as we embarked on a relentless hunt for the escaped creature. Our search took us deep into the heart of the national forest where the creature had vanished. It was a place where the trees seemed to close in around us, casting eerie shadows in the moonlight. One fateful night, our pursuit took a sinister turn. We stumbled upon a grisly scene, the remains of an innocent hiker brutally mauled by the creature. Blood stained the forest floor, and our flashlights revealed a trail of destruction leading deeper into the wilderness. As we followed the gruesome path, the forest seemed to close in around us, and the atmosphere grew oppressive. Each rustle of leaves or snap of twigs sent shivers down our spines. We were no longer the hunters. We had become the hunted. Hours turned into days, and the relentless pursuit pushed us to the brink of exhaustion. Just when hope seemed lost, a stroke of luck led us to the creature's hiding place. A GP signal provided the breakthrough we needed, and we closed in on its location. The final confrontation was a harrowing ordeal. The creature, cornered and desperate, unleashed its fury upon us. But we were prepared, armed with advanced technology and military precision. In the end, we captured the creature once more, ending the reign of terror it had unleashed upon the National Forest. The death of the innocent hiker remained a secret, buried beneath layers of government cover-up. As I look back on that dreadful chapter of my life, I can't help but wonder how many more creatures like the one we captured might still be lurking in the shadows, waiting for their chance to escape. The horrors of that secret meeting continued to haunt my nightmares, a chilling reminder that the unknown can be far more terrifying than we ever dared to imagine. My story goes back to 1975. My girlfriend and I were driving back to Idaho where I was going to school. We were headed towards Yellowstone Park and the Montana East Gate in a little yellow Volkswagen. It was around midnight and it was kind of snowing and picture a two-lane road with tall trees and no moon or nothing. Just our headlights and the snow is falling. All of a sudden there was this figure I saw walking right in the center of the road walking the same direction as me. In other words, her back was to me. It was a woman. At first I noticed her and I told my girlfriend, do you see what I see? A girl walking out here at midnight. It's probably about 30 degrees out. The closer we got, the more detail I could make out. It was so. I was gonna roll down my window and ask if she needed help, but we noticed that she was wearing very, very old. I guess 19th century garb, clothing, and she had hobnail boots. She had a long shawl and around her shoulders and in her hair. She had long brown hair, down probably a little bit below her shoulder blades. And the closer we got, we noticed something weird. Her hair was completely dry, not wet like you would expect for somebody out in snow. I was about to roll down my window and my girlfriend goes, Don't even stop! Don't even look. Go, you know, that freaked me out because I was just about ready to slow down. She said, don't even look in the mirror. She has no face. I drove away. You can imagine, here we are putting along in a little Volkswagen, and I just slowly moved over to the right to avoid hitting her. As I moved off and later got to the gate, the ranger said, sorry, the pass is closed tonight due to the snow. I ask, you mean we gotta go back? He says, 
Well, there's a little motel about a half a mile back. We were scared out of our wits. Anyway, we got to this motel, and fortunately, the guy still had a room available. And as soon as we got in the room, we just locked the door and put the chair in front of it. The rest of the night, we couldn't sleep. Using a throwaway in the off chance someone I know sees this. To give some parameters, I'm a 20-year-old guy in Tennessee. I've always been into cryptids, supernatural oddities, and basically everything mysterious or unexpected. However, I haven't had the time lately to research too much on which cryptids are which. Basically, a couple of years ago, I started seeing weird deer. I couldn't explain why they were odd. They just didn't seem right. One day, I ended up seeing a rather large buck that had that aura about him, and I shit you, not he looked dead at me and stood right up on his rear legs. Needless to say, I bolted before he could start walking towards me. It continued. I ended up catching a couple of these encounters on camera, one of a deer levitating and another of one standing and walking all on my trail cams. Other creepy things started happening like hearing mimicked sounds and the voice of my brother coming from the woods when he was standing next to me. I thought it was just something weird on this spooky chunk of land I lived on. I moved about an hour away from there a few months back and nothing too crazy has happened since. That was until tonight when me and my girlfriend were laying in bed. We didn't get to bed until about 2.30 a.m. and around 3.13 we heard a weird noise through the open window above our bed. It's the goddamn mimicking again. Something is out there making very obvious fake dog noises. I almost went out to check and see if they were okay before my groggy ass remembered all the dogs were obviously brought in for bed over an hour ago. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm pretty sure whatever this is has followed me before, and it followed me again. Maybe. What cryptid or thing has these traits in the middle, upper Tennessee region? Any comments or help would be greatly appreciated. It's 4.30 now, and I'm laying in bed reading random books online and Reddit threads, trying to learn what this is and how to deal with it. I used to hunt to fit in with a family many years ago. Didn't care for it. Wasn't good at it. Went and did it anyways. One of my first kills was a fawn. It was awful. I didn't mean to shoot a fawn. There was a whole herd of whitetails scattered around a field that we stumbled upon. The bastard donor I was with wasn't into hunting properly, so we came upon them driving at dusk and he demanded I hop out of the vehicle and shoot at them from the truck door. I shot at the first brown thing that came into my sights. He was standing half behind a hilltop, and I thought I'd shot at the doe. I was wrong, and let me tell you, there is nothing like watching an entire herd of white-tailed scatter except for one lone doe who stays behind, standing there and calling loudly for her baby. I'll never forget how horrible it was. She didn't leave when we started approaching the fawn, either. I got the gut-wrenching experience of watching her baby try to get up and run to her, but be entirely unable to, because her front end was mangled. While she cried out for it more and more frantically, eventually she ran when we got too close, but she didn't go far. She stayed at the tree line while the bastard donor fired round. After round point, blank into the fawn's neck, missing each time and putting the animal in more and more distress. He was breaking its back, he said. He didn't. Eventually, it just bled out. I don't know when the doe left. She was gone when the fawn died. I was never able to go out into the fields after that. I'd questioned the family's hunting abilities for years at that point. I'd had concerns about their practices before, but seeing firsthand how ruthless, dangerous, and cruel so-called experience Hunters could be, and being thrown into the situation of being a danger myself, left me terrified of being in the trees fields with someone like that ever again. I'm still a massive supporter of safe legal hunting, and I completely understand the appeal of it as both a sport and a lifestyle. A freezer full of meat saves a lot of money.
I'm thrilled when friends score a big hunt. I love seeing records set, but I'm also a huge advocate against any sort of poaching, improper gun use, and immoral hunting. People need to be educated about what they're doing and how. They need to understand the gravity that is killing another living thing. Yes, hunting can be thrilling, beneficial, and a great experience. But it's not like hockey or soccer or any other sport. It's dangerous and deadly. It's grim and disgusting. You either do it right or you don't do it at all. I don't care how much fun you're having. You're involved in an activity with a lot of responsibilities. And if you can't fulfill that, you have no right to kill another living being. Couple that with how many people have died out where I live due to completely preventable hunting accidents because so many people are like the bastard donor and worse, and you couldn't pay me enough to go back out there again. Back in 1995, my ex and I were driving from Langley, AFB, Virginia to Columbus, Ohio. We were on 33 between Harrisonburg, Virginia and Elkins, West Virginia. Very Appalachia, if you know what I mean. To our right, just off the highway and in the forest, there was something very large and gray moving parallel to us. We only saw it for a moment as I was probably doing 80 miles per hour. We didn't get a good look at it because it was obscured by the trees and I was speeding. It looked like the side of an elephant, no head. Just this big gray buddy walking. I said to my ex-wife, Did you see that? She replied, WTF was that? We were both shocked. We later joked it was Baby the Dinosaur because we were kids from the 80s. I've seen strange things before and since, but nothing tops that. I haven't thought about it in probably 10 years, but was talking to my wife and son this morning about weird things and it came up. I googled West Virginia cryptids and found the Grafton Monster. My memory is fuzzy, but this is close to what I saw. That's it. That's the tale. Just wanted to share. Okay, so me and one of my friends were joking around last night in the woods, as we usually do, because it's fun just to chill. It's calming. But basically... We have been those woods up to a good 100 times. I know it like the back of my hand. We were coming back, and it's like 1240 at this point. We went out at like 1130. As we are about to leave the woods, we hear a loud-ass whistle right at us. It wasn't bird-like. I've heard countless birds, and it wasn't near that. It sounded human, and my brain became uneasy, and we ran a good mile, I'd say, looking every direction seeing if anything was there. Mind you, I liked around 40 minutes from the closest town, and I live in a very small community, so it's very unlikely that it was another person. I only had my lighter that I carry no flashlights or anything, so we were pretty freaked. Any ideas what we heard? An old friend of mine had a K-9 search and rescue operation and had several dogs that had different skills. He had dogs that were trained for different things. One to search for human remains. One that was trained to search for live survivors, including through the rubble of accident or disaster sites. And even a little dog that could detect bed bugs. I would sometimes help in the training of the dogs by hiding in the woods or in hard-to-reach areas. And I loved doing it. It's amazing to see these incredible animals working. Plus, I love them. I sat with them a lot when he was out searching in different parts of the country for actual victims. One afternoon, we were walking through the park with the cadaver dog, a beautiful German shepherd who was the face of the company, not working, but we did have our canine search and rescue attire on when a man approached. He stopped us to ask if he could pet her, which is not uncommon, and she was super friendly and sweet, so we said, of course. The weird thing is that the moment he stopped, the dog immediately gave her signal and laid down right by his feet. My friend and I looked at each other almost in horror, because the dog was signaling that she detected human remains. She was the most experienced of all the dogs and would not have made a mistake. It was clearly her signal. 
It spooked us both so much that we cut the conversation short and left quickly. To this day, we have no idea what that was about. I should also add that she was trained to detect human remains. She was taught not to alert on animal remains. I still think about that day a lot. After posting it in the other sub, there have been a lot of theories from fellow Redditors. Everything from mortician to rotting toes or even a dead man's shoes. But none of those reasons would have caused this response. And I honestly still have no idea. And neither does my friend who is a professional. I think seeing him spooked was even more unnerving. He's an army vet that's been in combat. An EMT and a firefighter and has seen some shit. So he's pretty calm in every situation. I experienced something weird when I served as a military police at the Yakima Training Center, 92, 93. It was a long time ago, and I will try to share the story with as many important details and as few embellishments as possible. But as we all know, time is the enemy of human memory. I was on duty on a cold December night in Yakima, Washington. Our base at the time was the second largest training area in the United States, and its hundreds of square miles of semi-desert area is ideal for all kinds of military training. On this night, however, there was no training, and downrange was devoid of all military personnel, as I confirmed later. I was working the 6P6 a shift, and I left my station to drive down Cold Creek Road, the main access road to the training area. Approximately eight miles away at the end of the paved road is a research station or listening outpost that has the largest radio dish I have ever seen. At this installation, within our installation, security is provided by DOD police officers and our SOP was to drop in once a shift to check in with these police officers to ensure everything was running smoothly. Now, my duty at ITC was pretty boring as it only housed a hundred soldiers permanently and things only picked up when large units would visit to hold training. So I can only imagine how bored out of their minds those dog police officers were working in a secured installation within. A secured installation. At any rate, I left my station at approximately 2 a.m., if memory serves, and I set out to check on the DOD research station. Though it had been snowing on and off all day, it was not snowing at the time I headed out. But there was a lot of snow on the road. Having been born and raised in Houston, Texas, I was a novice driving in the snow, so I drove very slowly, which I didn't mind because I had all night or morning to get there and back. I was driving a Jeep Cherokee that had been outfitted with a complete police package, cage, bubblegum or takedown lights bumper bars, the whole shebang. I slowly made my way down the road, listening to Jodeki on the radio and generally thinking about my plans to leave the Army. When my ETS day finally arrived in September, basically there are two types of people who are in the Army, lifers and people who cannot wait to get out. I was firmly within the camp of the latter. I was about halfway to the research station when the radio began to annoyingly lose reception. As I fidgeted with the radio, my vehicle was lit up by a bright light from above. I brought the vehicle to a complete stop and tried to look up through the windshield to see what the hell was spotlighting me, but to no avail. I reached for the door handle to step outside, but a cold chill ran down my spine, and my instinct screamed not to open the door. Mind you, I was armed, locked and loaded, but still the fear made me hesitate. Those few seconds, then just as suddenly as it appeared, the light flicked off. I slowly opened the door, poked my head out, and there was nothing hovering above me. Clearly shaken, I picked up the pace and made it out to the research station. I played it cool and asked the DOD officers if they had seen anything show up on their camera, which is positioned two miles away from their location. They rewound the tape and nothing except my lights coming down the road. I figured out that the incident occurred before I came into view of that camera. I returned to my station and made some calls. 
First call was our air traffic control, and they verified what I already knew, that all aircraft were grounded due to the inclement weather. I double-checked with another call to our helicopter rescue crew on duty, and they confirmed they were grounded due to the weather. I then called range control, and they verified that there were no units or military maneuvers downrange. Considering that our airspace is restricted, I highly doubted it was a civilian aircraft that spot lit me. After much thought, I eliminated the possibility that it was a helicopter because everything was grounded. And even though I had been listening to the radio, it was very low and I would have heard the chopper blades. It wasn't a plane because of the reason of restricted airspace and whatever spotlighted me was pacing my slow jaunt through the snow and the light was directly over my vehicle not coming in from the side, putting a 15-foot radius on the Jeep Cherokee. I know I did not hit my takedown lights because I looked down when I was spotlighted to see if I had done that exact thing, and my panel was green. The buttons turn red when in use. Besides, the lights are focused on the front of the vehicle, not in a 360 circle. I kept the incident to myself until the next night when a retired Air Force tech sergeant dropped by our station when I was on duty. After presenting his ID card, he went on to say that last night, while he was on his way home, he saw some strange lights engaging in his words. Impossible maneuvers over our training area. He went on to say that after 25 years in the Air Force, he had never seen aircraft fly in that manner. We called a TC, and again, they stated no aircraft in the area last night. Considering that one has to go out of his way to get off the highway to drop by our station made me believe the guy was on the up and up. During the following week, I did some UFO research at our local library. Wish I had Googled then and found out that Yakima had UFO sightings. Since 1947, a pilot reported seeing flying saucers while flying over Yakima. In the strictest sense of the word, I did experience a UFO, but what it was, I have no idea. I checked the logs that night, and I was able to confirm no lost time, so for sure no probing. I was left with a mystery that nagged at me to this day. That's my story. A truly inexplicable incident occurred quite some time ago shaking the peace of my tranquil surroundings. Nights were filled with the resounding barks of my beloved Labrador retriever, echoing through the darkness. The neighbors attributed the commotion to the presence of coyotes in the area, as these cunning predators had been wreaking havoc, mercilessly preying on ducks, geese, chickens, and even feline companions. Countless cats mysteriously vanished, leaving behind a void in the hearts of their owners. After a particularly harrowing night, I ventured out to survey the aftermath. What I discovered chilled me to the bone, a peculiar sight etched into the landscape. In a roughly four-foot diameter, the grass lay flattened, crushed under an unseen forest. Clusters of hair, torn from some unknown creature, were scattered around the area. These tufts of hair, varying in color from a light shade, not quite blonde, not quite white, astonished me. Some strands were as long as a horse's mane, reaching a foot in length. But it was not horse here. No trace of equine presence could be found, for there were no horse tracks to be seen. Intrigued and disturbed, I carefully gathered the enigmatic hair, preserving it within an envelope, intending to send it for analysis. Once I locate it, I will gladly forward it to you, in hopes of unraveling the mystery of its origin. This unsettling incident transpired a mere 20 feet from the sanctuary of my front door in Cherry Grove, Oregon, nestled in a wooded area on the eastern slopes of the Coast Range. My home has witnessed the passage of time for 47 years. Throughout my tenure, I have encountered various creatures that call this realm their home, yet the discovery of a solitary 5-inch panther track a mere 30 feet from my back door stands as a testament to the enigmatic nature that pervades these lands. I'll never forget the passing of my aunt around four years ago. It was a natural cause, and she had always been a devout churchgoer. 
Her two daughters, both in their 20s at the time, were deeply affected by her departure. Coming from a Mexican background, our customs dictate that when someone passes away, we hold a novenario, which involves a series of prayers conducted over a nine-day period. On the ninth day, we bid farewell to our loved one and allow them to rest in peace. On that significant ninth day, my two cousins were lying in bed, still mourning the loss of their mother. According to them, my aunt appeared before them, comforting them and reassuring them not to worry about her. She told them she was going to a better place and that she was okay. She urged them not to mourn her because their grief was holding her back from moving on. This experience has taught me a valuable lesson. We should allow our loved ones to find peace in their passing and not cling to their memory in a way that prevents them from transitioning to the afterlife. It's a reminder that we will reunite with them one day, and until then, we should cherish their memories, celebrate their lives, and grant them the tranquility they deserve. Losing someone we love is undoubtedly painful, but understanding that they have embarked on a journey to a better place can bring solace and acceptance. Our beliefs, rituals, and traditions provide us with the strength and guidance to navigate the grieving process. And while it may be challenging to let go, we must trust in the natural order of things and allow our loved ones to find eternal peace. So let us honor their memory, celebrate their life, and cherish the time we had together. Rest assured, one day we will be reunited, and until then, we can find comfort in knowing that they are watching over us from a place of serenity. When I first saw the Shadow Man, it would have been about eight years old. My family of five had just moved to a three-bedroom house around the time when my youngest brother was eight months old. I should mention that this house was in a well-populated neighborhood, not in the countryside. This house had a large basement that was split long ways into two sides. One side had a laundry room and a far back, a bathroom a round mirror right outside of the bathroom on the opposing wall, and what we called the toy room right next to the stairs. The other side was the family den. The stairs to the basement separated these two sections. I hadn't been in that house for more than a week when I had first seen it. I was in the basement getting something, either a toy or a book. I don't recall. It was around late afternoon. The light was streaming in from the egress windows. At first, I thought it was my father, but I quickly realized that this figure was not only a head taller than he was, but thinner, too. It also didn't have a reflection. If I had to give an estimate now, I'd say it stood maybe six and a half feet tall. It wasn't thin like some depictions I've seen. The one I saw that day had the typical fleshed, out proportions of a man. At this point, only a few seconds had passed. I just stood there staring at it. I had a pit in my stomach, and I knew, even though I couldn't see its eyes, it saw me too. I cannot emphasize this enough. This wasn't a human. I was alone in that basement. The light coming from the windows didn't seem to cast any shadows onto it. There's no face, no clothes, and no indication of a three-dimensional form. The thing almost looked like it was a hole cut from the fabric of reality itself. The sense of dread and fear that filled me was something I'd only experienced while facing these creatures. I can't explain it, but something deep down told me that it was male. Something also told me that it was evil. It said nothing. It just stood there. I took a step back, and suddenly it charged at me, taking incredibly long strides. The way it moved made it contort. The legs especially looked like they were getting longer. It reached out to me. The hand was as big as my face. It was only three feet away from me. It moved at incredible speed. I started to scream and I ran up the stairs. I ran out of the basement so fast that I actually fell when I reached the main hallway. I told my parents. My father was skeptical and obviously looked, but found nothing. My mother said nothing about it. A few days after the encounter in the evening hours, my sister and I saw one sitting on the sectional couch in our living room while we were walking to the kitchen for a snack. It was sitting where my mother would sit in the corner of the sectional. His legs were long. 
The minute it noticed us, my younger sister saw it and screamed. It left the couch in one human-like motion and ran through the wall. My mother was in the kitchen and my father was at work. That very night, I saw one at my baby brother's nursery window pressing his face on the glass. I knew this one wasn't a person, either. My neighbor's backyard porch light was on so this one, much like the first, was completely black like a shadow. My dad went outside with a flashlight. My neighbor joined in the search because they thought it was a pervert trying to spy on us kids. Nothing was found. No footprints at the window. No one fleeing the scene and no prints on the glass pane. During the next three years, my sister and I would mention these continued sightings to our parents. Each time I was told it was nonsense and to stop terrorizing my siblings with ghost stories and lies, my younger sister mentioned her own sightings that I had never witnessed. I don't know the details. My mother eventually caved and admitted that she saw them too, primarily in the basement. She begged my sister and me to stop talking about them so my brother wouldn't be frightened. She even took us downstairs to pray over the space so that they'd maybe leave. Well, right around the time my brother learned to talk, he mentioned playing with the dude. The dude would play with him often, apparently, when no one else would. He described it as a tall, dark figure, but this one is apparently neutral toward him. He mentioned him for years until he turned nine. Then he stopped talking about the dude completely. My parents divorced when I was about 12, and my mother and her new husband had two more sons. The older of these two boys, M, was about four. He started talking about what he called the shadow man. The shadow man was neutral toward them. I'm now in my 20s, and I've kept seeing them throughout my life. It's pretty infrequent now, admittedly. When I see them, there's still a great dread when they just drift into the walls without approaching me. I added a quick illustration to this email of the shadow that I saw the first time. It seemed to ooze pure evil. I hope this story helps someone out there realize they aren't alone. Since then, I've come to terms with these experiences.